Hello, and welcome to Coffee Talk with Crystal. I am Crystal Grafton Combs, host of this podcast and international president of Alpha Omicron Pi Fraternity. Originally started in 2019, Coffee Talk is a personal project designed to connect with the women of Alpha Omicron Pi and our greater community of sisters and friends. Here, we will talk about life, leadership, sisterhood, and so much more. So thank you for listening, and now let's get to the next episode. Today's episode features a conversation with Elizabeth Rainey Dabney, an initiated member of our new beta chapter at the University of Mississippi. Liz is a past chapter president, the manager of my favorite restaurant on the planet, Big Bad Breakfast in Oxford, Mississippi, and a brilliant ray of sunshine who lights up every room. She is also battling stage four metastatic breast cancer and she has agreed to share her story and how she is living her life right now. I hope you are as inspired by Liz as all of us who have the privilege to call her a sister and friend. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I love this so much. You have to know that you are one of my favorite people on the planet. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, So Liz, we are going to talk today about a few things, but we always start our conversations at the very beginning. You are an initiated member of my chapter, New Beta. That's right. So if you would, tell me a little bit about your AOPI story. My AOPI story. Okay, well, my AOPI story begins in 2003, and I... Um, coming to Ole Miss and going through Rush, I was actually a legacy to another sorority. And my whole life, I grew up thinking that I was going to be in this other sorority, XYZ. Um, but my first week of Rush, or not Rush, actually first week of school, I met an AOPI at the Wesley Foundation. And I thought she was really awesome. And she introduced me to several other AOPIs. And What struck me about them is that they just seemed um, real and like me and not something for people that were, uh, I don't unobtainable or perfect. They were just normal and down to earth. And I remember telling my mom um, that I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go XYZ sorority anymore. And going through Rush, some of those decisions were made for me but I wound up at AOPI and I was so happy and I've never, um, I don't know. I've never looked back since then. I've initiated my sister and Gamami, um, and my stepmother. So now we have, we have four members of my family, including me that are AOPIs. That is amazing. So in the time since then, you are still in Oxford, my very favorite place outside of Paris, of course. And that is actually how I came to know you because I was initiated many, many years before you. Yes. Do you remember the first time that we met? Well, was it when you had a uh, fast pass for BBB? <laughs> I 
think, or a different time. I think that it was. Kitty says that's not the first time. It, you know, I don't think it is. Hello, Kitty. How are you? Hey, Crystal. <laughs> so, so I don't think that was the very first time. It was so funny because I got to know you then, but I had actually met you. We were in the restaurant. Big Bad Breakfast in yes. Oxford, which everyone knows every time I go there, I post on social because it is the best place in the world for breakfast and really all things. And you came up to our table and you used all three of my names. You were like, you are Crystal Grafton Combs. And, like <laughs> and my husband turned around and he goes, and you must be an AOPI. <laughs> and that has been... Several yep. years ago now, but then of course we won our little fast pass and I got to see you early and often and it has been the most outstanding experience. Tell me in your years since initiation, what has been a highlight for you as an AOPI? Oh gosh, um, my life is full of AOPI still. After, well, I was president of the chapter 2005 and 2006 and um i when i graduated i moved to austin for like a year except i still came back to help with recruitment and a couple of other things and i um volunteered as an advisor for a little while so that put me in touch with some of the girls that were going through <clears throat> or that were actives at the time that i wouldn't have otherwise met because i was older than them so I made friends with a lot of them as well as um, kept friends in my pledge class. But AOPIs were my roommates after college and the ones that still lived in Oxford that I was close to, we would get together on Sundays and have family meal and eat together. I worked with several AOPIs. In fact, I just got to throw out there that the City Grocery Restaurant Group is now run by two AOPIs with the AOPI top of the food chain. Um, you know, I love <laughs> everything about this. Shout out to I, all I the AOPIs. Yes. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me until you and I started talking about um, my AOPI story and like the um, AOPI tree of people and how it's all the web of how it's connected. And all the people, I know a lot of people that aren't AOPIs, but they're just dear to me because there's something that we share in common, um, not just because it's a sorority, but it's like this, you know, the things that our hearts are, are made of, I guess, um, that are close together. One person in particular that I'm thinking of, I met, she was an active, she was the, um, she's seven years younger than me. And I was helping her make the recruitment video and we didn't know each other. Katie just was like, you, you go do this. And so we went to work on it and everything that I said, she was like, me too. And then she would say something. I was like, me too. And it was a connection that we made just even though that, you know, at that time I was like 25 and she would have been 18. It still brought us together and we're still as close as we've ever been. Yeah. Insane. I love this. No, wait, who are we talking about? Give her a shout out. Maybe she'll be listening. We're we're talking about Diana Price. I love this. Shout you out to Diana. Homecoming. Yes. Um, homecoming Queen 2010? Maybe. Yeah. That's amazing. 
<laughs> now, for people who may hear Kitty in the background, Kitty, come say hello to me. Hello, Crystal. Hello. For people who may not know why Kitty is next to you, you have known her since you came through recruitment, right? Oh, yeah. Kitty, that was your first year of recruitment. Um, yeah. So we, we grew up in AOPI together. I love this. <laughs> 2003, do you say? Mm -hmm. And so, Kitty, that means that you have been the recruitment advisor for New Beta for what coming up on two decades. Did I just say that? That can't oh, be right. <laughs> yes, that's that's true. <laughs> Every year is her last year, though. <laughs> so, Kitty is another example of how you have remained connected to AOPI, oh. just on a, on a level completely outside of the chapter. Like, this is... This is, of course, a podcast that connects with AOPIs, but you all are dear friends and sisters in addition to your recruitment time together, which is yes. pretty amazing. Yeah, um, I, Kitty's like my second mom, so she doesn't have any daughters, so I volunteered to take that spot. And I have a her. feeling that she is welcoming it. <laughs> she did. She did. Yeah, so, so we got to know each other when, um, well, when I was on, um, what's it called? Uh-huh, Elsie. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Kitty's also here to help me remember things because <laughs> I have cancer brain and I can't remember everything. So, Liz, let's talk about this. This okay. is very appropriately timed, intentionally so, because we celebrate breast cancer awareness in right. this particular month in October. And you have a wonderful, wonderful message that I think that you share with all people, not because you are surviving and thriving, but because you have been very intentional to share your story. So that being said, I would love for you to share a little bit about this journey for you and what it means now. Before I start, I will say, um, in regards to AOPI and the, the topic of the podcast too, I'd like to note, I may not list everybody's name, but um, when I first suspected that I had breast cancer and went for a mammogram, um, it was Kitty and AOPI that went with me uh, in my ultrasound. And then when they found the cancer, um, the first people I called were AOPIs. And an AOPI went with me for the MRI to confirm that I had um, stage four breast cancer. And um, interestingly enough, I was connected to an AOPI at MD Anderson, who is the lead of the advanced breast cancer um, unit there. And an AOPI is my pharmacist here in Oxford too. So it's um, those connections were made a long time ago, but obviously they were meant for this time for me. Um, but to start from the beginning in um, January, uh, I think it was January 14th, I found a mass on my left breast. Um, I just found it on accident. I get during the winter, just little rough patches of skin like eczema. And I was putting some hydrocortisone cream on it. It was under my arm. And I was like, what is this? Because I could feel it. It was um, large, about two centimeters. And I knew that it was new because I um, perform 
um, breast self exams, um, not as often as everyone should, which by the way, is at least once a month at the same time of the month. Um, but I would do it every couple of months because I, my grandmother had had breast cancer and I remember, or I, I was cognizant of it and that women should check. And I had had a, I thought that I'd felt something about six months previously and I went to my OBGYN and they performed a thorough exam, um, but they didn't schedule a mammogram, but they didn't find anything. So I knew that this was something that had appeared in the last six months. And um, immediately the next day, I found it late at night. So the next morning I called and my, I called my OBGYN and they scheduled me for a mammogram. They were like, uh, we know that it's new. We should probably just go right to the test. So I had a mammogram a couple of days later and um, Kitty was with me and I don't know, Kitty, I feel like I, I know that I already knew what it was. Um, I was very anxious before having the mammogram and I went to my church and I just sat in the parking lot because it was closed and prayed about it. And I felt like the Lord told me what it was going to be. And, um, after they did the mammogram, she came back and wanted some more scans. And then they were like, well, sometimes when we see something, we'll just go ahead and do an ultrasound. So then they did an ultrasound while I was there and I could see the screen. And I had of course Googled like thousands of images the night before about what breast cancer looks like. Of course. <laughs> and so I saw it and I, it looked like all the bad pictures of what breast cancer looks like. So, um, I, that was confirmation enough for me, but we still had to have a um, biopsy to confirm it. So I had a biopsy, gosh, what, less than a week later? Yeah. And then, yeah, I had a biopsy the Wednesday after I found it, which would have been about six days since I found the mass. And um, then we got results on Friday. I was working at BBB and that was January 21st. And the uh, doctor called and said that it was cancer. And at that point, we thought it was just early stage um, because I'm young. I was 36 at the time and it was new. So surely it couldn't have you know, gone anywhere, spread that quickly. And uh, I didn't have a significant family history of breast cancer. so. We didn't think it was something that would be aggressive. So I got signed up immediately for the general run of the mill for somebody that's young and has breast cancer, which is a bilateral mastectomy and which is removal of all the breast tissue with a later reconstruction and um, three rounds of chemo or three months of chemo. and. I was signed up for that within a week of being diagnosed. Uh, and my oncologist was like, well, you know, I think we'll order a PET scan though, just to be safe. And thank goodness, because on my PET scan, what they found was that um, it wasn't just in my breast, but it had spread to two significant lymph nodes, um, an axial node, which is under my arm, and a subpectoral node, which is under the um, uh, chest muscle. and um, to my liver and 
significantly to my liver. It was, I, I think the document said too numerous to count multiple lesions on liver. Yeah. Um, I would say hundreds of small lesions. If you see the photo, it looks like it's my liver is a Dalmatian. Um, it's just covered in tumors. So that changed me from a stage one breast cancer to a stage four overnight. And what does stage four mean? Like I know people talk, yeah. obviously four is worse than one. Right. But when people hear that, what does that, what should that mean to them? Sure. Um, so stage one through three means that the um, breast cancer has not spread outside of breast tissue or uh, localized lymph nodes that are right next to the breast. And there are grades of that. And if it's spread here, if it's spread there, that is what makes you stage one through three. Um, we call that early stage breast cancer. Uh, stage three is a, a little bit more advanced, but what is really called advanced breast cancer is stage four. And so stage four means that tumors or the cancer have spread outside of the breast tissue to a uh, separate organ. Uh, it spreads through the lymph node system. So the two lymph nodes that lit up on my um, PET scan were likely the culprits that sent um, cancer cells throughout my body. And my liver was the one that um, picked them up first. But what stage four means is it's not curable. Stage one through three, because it's contained to one organ, it can technically be cured. You can get rid of all of the cancer cells. But in stage four, um, essentially the cancer is already all over my body because there are cancer cells spreading through the lymph system um, and now the bile system and um, likely my blood. I actually know that I have bone tumors now. So it, we know that it's spreading through bone marrow and through blood. So even though they don't show up on scans, they are just tiny can cancer cells all throughout my body. It's a matter of time before they attach to a different organ and start to proliferate. So stage four is technically a terminal diagnosis because there is no cure. Um, it's not considered chronic because it um, cannot necessarily be managed for a long period of time because we only have limited treatments for stage four breast cancer and they will last for as long as they might for um, each individual person. But inevitably the cancer will outsmart the treatment and you'll have to switch to something else. But since there are only a handful of treatments available, um, at some point I will run out of options of treatment. Um, now we hope that that's a long time, but, and it's for some women, it can be. Some women have been living with metastatic breast cancer for 10, 15, um, 18 years, I think is like the longest I've seen, maybe 20. But um, on average, the survival rate past five years from diagnosis is only like 20%, which is pretty low. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm like hoping for the five years because the, uh, the me I think the median time for someone with liver nets or you know, metastases is two years. So um, I'm not gonna accept that number. I plan for more than that, but 
That is a synopsis of stage four breast cancer. And Liz, I have to ask you, because every time I see you, we are in a shared space with other people, you know, right. and you, you always have your game face on. How do you even adjust to the mindset going in that you are young, you have no significant family history, and this was supposed to be plan A, and now you are where you are because you have not just said, okay, this is it. Like you are living mm -hmm. life to the fullest, which I want to talk about in a couple of minutes, yeah. but, but how do you even reconcile that? Well, as Kitty says, life is a terminal illness. So all of us are going to um, meet our end at some point. We're not guaranteed to live forever. We know that. So for me, I am not afraid of dying, which has helped me. And I, and my faith. Yeah. The Lord prepared me for this. So I, maybe it would have been more upsetting had I not known, but the Lord told me from the beginning before it was ever confirmed by science and doctors that it was going to be cancer. And there was something, it was another, gosh, I hate to say mission, but assignment that I was to say yes to. Just like when the Lord told me to go to Uganda and I was like, okay, I'll do that. I just had to say yes to it. And so I haven't, it's not like I really got the choice, but I look at it as this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing now. This is the way that I um, can help other people and that I can point people towards God's goodness. And it hasn't been easy the whole time. The hardest thing for me to accept was not being able to have children. I'm gonna try not to cry. I always wanted to adopt anyway, but I, because of the nature of my diagnosis and its hormone estrogen positive, I, it would not be safe really even for me to try to harvest eggs. That was an option, but it wasn't really recommended. So I couldn't have, I can't have my own children. And then there's the ethical implications of being a person with a terminal illness that may live two to five years on average. Um, is it right? You know, is it fair to a child to um, be a foster parent or to adopt? And those are decisions that there's not a right answer on, but things that I can evaluate. But on the whole, like, it looks kind of like maybe I will never get to have kids. Like, I've always wanted to be a mom. But what I've learned in the last six, eight months is that you can be a a testimony, a mother, a matriarch in more ways than one. And my staff at BBB, they always remind me, but we're, whenever I say, I'm telling someone, well, I'll never be able to have children. I think they get their feelings hurt because they're like, but we're your kids. <laughs> and they, <laughs> and all, they mean it. <laughs> so yeah, so to be truthful, I have about 25 children. <laughs> um, who sometimes act like children, but are very loved. I could have gotten really upset and given up and been angry about it, but I don't feel angry. In fact, I was talking to my psychologist last week, like, is there something wrong with me because I'm not angry? But 
I'm not angry. I it's actually a blessing. I've been blessed in so many ways to um, meet new people that have the same diagnosis, um, meet people who were at risk, and um, or find out that best friends were at risk and they weren't taking it seriously. And it's an opportunity to save lives. I know of at least one person who has had a double mastectomy since I met them that they weren't necessarily going to have, but really should have had um, a couple of years ago because they had um, genetic mutations for breast cancer um, and among several other genetic mutations. So I feel like my diagnosis and I know this person feels the same way, likely saved her life. And to me, that's worth it just for that. But I use it as a way to educate other people about their risk. And um, it's a new job for me, I guess, a new ministry. Have you always been a faith-based person? Yes, I haven't always been active in church and I wasn't as a child, but I just always knew God. Um, Even before I knew about Christianity, God was just my, my person, I knew about it. And then when I found out about church, started going to church, I put everything into that framework, but it was something that I already knew in my heart, so. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You hear a lot of times about people who shift their perspectives completely. You know, either they were and now they're not or vice versa. I love yeah. the idea that it has strengthened where you are and who you are Absolutely. in this particular yeah. place. Tell me, what is it that you would like for people to know about how to be a support? Because I think sometimes people don't know what to do or say. We want to be present and helpful what can people do yeah that is such a good question because it's um oh gosh the source of my number one frustration i guess kitty's over here smiling and shaking her head um (laughs) i it is difficult um it's difficult for me to be able to tell people how to support me you'll find that some people just can't handle it and that's okay I have to learn to accept that they can't. But the best way to be a supportive person is just to reach out here and there. I have friends that do nothing but send me memes and TikTok videos. And I'm they know that I may not get a chance to respond, but it gives me um, a boost, you know, oftentimes when I need it. Um, Just a message that says, hey, I'm thinking about you is helpful. Even if the person, the patient isn't able to respond, it's, I see all of those and they help. To be more intentional, how are you feeling is a question that gets asked a lot. And it's kind of like a Pandora's box, like, well, I feel terrible, but I'm probably not going to tell you all that. Um, because I also, as a patient, I don't want to complain. I don't want to feel like I'm complaining all the time. So things like, when was your last doctor's appointment? And what did they find? What's going on in my day-to-day life there? And what can I do for you right now is a good question. When I say, 
I just got my test results back and they found a new tumor or this. Okay, how can I help you at this moment? Like, how does, how are you feeling in this moment that you found that out? Things that are a little bit more direct um, because I feel like I just carry around this big suitcase of feelings that I don't necessarily get to unpack except for in doctor's offices or with a psychologist or with my close friends. And sometimes my close friends don't know how to ask the question, but well, Kitty, she never has any problem asking questions, but (laughs) yeah, I think too, being an active listener, yeah, you know, just, just listening in a non-judgmental way Mm -hmm. helps Liz a lot. Let, let her say what she needs to say. Yeah. That's a good point because I, I need to talk about things like being a terminal patient, thinking about the end, planning for, uh, you know, passing on to the, the next life. And so I can, I feel safe talking to people like Kitty who let me talk about that um, because I have understandably, of course, friends and family members, they, they can't, they, they don't want to handle it. Yeah, they, they can't handle it. it. And they don't want to think about the op- the fact that I may die, but um, the fact is it's real. And so I feel better, like, you know, I can joke with Kitty, except I'm not really joking about <laughs> like what playlist I want played at my funeral and I'll make sure they don't do this and I want to wear this outfit. And so it's, that is so helpful for me um, is to just be able to talk about things that are uncomfortable, but necessary. Absolutely. I hope that I was kind of a roundabout way of answering your question. I hope that was helpful. It was absolutely what I think so many people need to hear because people like me who love people that are going through all of these things, we want to be helpful. We don't always know, right? And if it's to sit and listen and be in a place of discomfort so that you can have a moment of peace and comfort, happy to sit there all day long, right? But until someone says, hey, this is how you can be a good friend, a good sister, a good dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? Then I think we don't know. And I would bet that there's not one woman listening to this podcast who doesn't know someone in this moment. Mm -hmm. So what a wonderful piece of information to have. So let's talk about the things that you are planning. You, You do know that your time here is limited. You have a bucket list. Oh, I do. I just pulled it up. Okay. Tell me some of the things that, so first, wait. On this bucket list, I know a couple of things that have happened because of social mm-hmm. media. You right. went to visit New York, which of course is one of my favorite places on the planet. So I lived vicariously through you during this trip. But then also you recently coordinated, I'm going to say produced, created, I don't know all the words that go into it. Yes. Something on your bucket list that I loved seeing. And that yes. is a drag show. Yes, it was so cool. Okay, you have to tell me about this. Okay, so on my um, bucket list, I had just to see a drag show because I'd never seen one. So I went to see a drag show during Pride Week here. And actually, we met two of the queens at BBB that morning. And uh, they met me and they... but. They met my adopted daughter, Abby, 
at the front and we just became fast friends and they loved Abby so much that they invited her up on stage. Well, they didn't really invite her. They forced her to come up on stage during the show. It was a surprise for her. And so I got connected to um, Dwight, AKA Kira Mason that way. And then, so I was like, okay, well, I've been to a drag show now. I mean, like what's next? So the next thing I added was, um, you know, put on a drag show. And it was something that we dreamed up um, to pair with breakfast. We were like, we should do something like this and just serve a brunch. And that's how it started. And it just grew from there into this major event. I thought I was just going to like, you know, use the snack bar side of our dining room and have one show. But it wound up being um, a large ticketed event with a lot of attendees. And we also had a um, drag bingo that night. So it was a double header and it was fantastic. I loved every bit of it. And it's just, drag is all about um, celebrating who you are and feeling good. And so that, it was a message that um, translated to me. I love everything about this. So tell me, what is next on your list? Um, okay, well, for one, the next thing that I'm working on is learning the Michael Jackson thriller dance um, <laughs> from start to finish. And that one's going to have to be done pretty soon here because we're getting close to Halloween. I was really hoping to perform it at Halloween this year, but I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, I did learn how to twerk. That's the word that they told me. That's like shaking it behind. Mm -hmm. But I have things. You want me to just read a couple of things? Yes, I do. All right. So first on the list is to ride an elephant and to swim with, with elephants. Um, there's a series called Ashes and Snow that it's a photography series where they took pictures of people um, swimming with elephants. And I was like, I'll do that. Pray with elephants like in ashes and snow. Um, visit special victims unit sites, um, crime scene sites in New York, check. Reinvent <laughs> uh, breakfast at Tiffany's, check. check. <laughs> Meet Taylor Swift. She hasn't written us back yet, but my sister emails her like daily. Wait, Taylor um, Swift? Yes, oh Taylor Swift. I love it. <laughs> Um, meet Marishka Hargitay, who is um, Olivia Benson from Special Victims Unit. Yeah, I should move that one to number one. Um, it, my sister Emily also emails Marishka Hargitay almost every day. Um, sing with Brandy Carlisle. She's one of my favorites. Um, read a Confederacy of Dunces. I've added that because Dwight Ball, who comes to eat at BBB every single day of his life, he um, recommends that I read that book. And he's a very wise man, so I thought maybe I would add that to the list. Eat at Pizza Church, which is in Sardis, I think. It's called Tribeca Alley. I've never been there, but it's called Pizza Church, so I think I need to go. They just, like, bring you whatever you they think that you need. Um, go to a drag show, check. Host a drag show, check. Um, take Abby to a sunset slash sunrise at Sardis. She's always wanted to see the sunrise. I've tried to wake her up three times to do this, but that one hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> my, my friend Carol and I, for the summer, we um, said that we would wear shorts at least twice a week because neither one of us like to wear shorts because we have um, spider brains all over our legs. 
Carol won the bet and I didn't because I still haven't worn shorts. But it's <laughs> but there were like one of it said that we could wear it in public and then one was like just lounging around. We will own our spider bangs one day at a time. <laughs> and then the dances I have to learn, I have thriller, Billy Jean, um, Britney Spears Slave, Beyonce put a ring on it, twerking is a check, and then um trip to Europe, eat everything in France eat everything in Italy, um, see the Indigo Girls play again, check, with Meg, um, see Patty Griffin play again, check, and I have to see Fleetwood Mac play while I'm dressed like Stevie Nicks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I have to list so far. I love this for you. Oh my goodness. Now, does this list change? Do you, does it ebb and flow? Do you add things yes. as you think of them? Yes, I do. <laughs> I put in the notes app on my phone and I have a book too. So like when something becomes more concrete, like I know that I'm going to do it. Um, oh, I skipped it on here, but I took pictures in the bathtub field on the way to Batesville too. Which oh I've wanted gosh, to take ever since that. I'm driving to college. Yeah. <laughs> you might need to explain it to people. Well, there's just this field of a bathtubs, and I've seen it every time I drove up from Jackson to college, you know, and now that I'm not in college, so that's been, I don't even want to talk a about it. Years 20 ago. something, 20 years. <laughs> but I was like, it would be so cool to take photos out there. So one night we just went out and did it. I think it was on Abby's birthday. Yeah, it was. I so. love this. The bathtub field. So now everyone is going to Google the bathtub the field. Bathtub. Yes. <laughs> I love yes. it. Liz, before we wrap up today, what is one thing that you just want everyone to know that you want to put out into the world? Tell me what it uh, would be. Okay. Well, two things. Um, number one lesson that I've learned being a uh, manager at Big Bad Breakfast, um, being president of my sorority, and any other leadership role is, it's important to practice life-giving leadership. So every time that you are interacting with other people as a team, um, as a uh, support system, um, as a leader, then you should be breathing life into that person and not taking life away. And if you approach your life and the task in it, in that way, things tend to work out and problems are solved a lot more easily. So that's something that I practice and I train people on when I hire them. And it's just a good way to lead your life. So always think about the other person. How can I, I, stay up at night thinking about how can I breathe life into this person instead of being angry at them? How can I let them be seen and how can I breathe life into them? So there's a um, Liz's wisdom share for one. Um, and then in regards to health, which is uh, number two slash second, number one, don't be afraid to speak up about things and don't think that you're being a hypochondriac, even if you are, whatever, that's fine. Be a hypochondriac because I had this fear of being a hypochondriac and that's how I missed several warning signs um, of my cancer that we could have called it earlier. Um, if you're having frequent headaches, tell somebody about it, like a physician. If you feel more tired, you may not just be old. 
Um, if it, you have significant weight loss that is unexplained, yes, it's awesome to be a little bit skinnier, but it's also probably an issue. And um, make sure that you tell your physician about those things. And you have to speak up and advocate for yourself, too. If you don't get the answers that you want or you still feel like there's something wrong, there probably is something wrong. You know, whether it's physical or psychological, there is something wrong. Our bodies tell us and we need to listen to it. Have your scheduled mammograms, but if you have a family history, make sure that you get those ahead of time. Um, and if you have trouble getting them, the cash pay price is $212 in the state of Mississippi and tell them you don't have insurance and you would still like that mammogram. Here's my money. If you need to know how to get tests done, Liz at Big Bad Breakfast, that's my email. I'll help you find testing and resources. I think that that's mostly it. Listen to your body, learn how to breathe life into others. Liz, I love you so much. I loved you from the moment that I met you. You truly are someone that lights up a room. You know, you hear about that. You read about it. People describe others. But until you meet someone that truly lights up a place just by walking into it, then you haven't really lived. And you are that person. And I just need you to know it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So thank you for joining me today for this podcast and for everyone out there listening. As always, thank you. And until next time, stay safe and be well. Mm -hmm.